You know, last week, Pastor David preached from Matthew 27, dealing with the subject of guilt. And it was a fascinating study of, on how there are five ways to deal with guilt, but only one that will grant you temporal and eternal relief that our soul really longs for. And as you well know, the reality of this world points in the direction opposite to what the scripture provides in dealing with, with guilt, even to the point of denial. And the consequences of not dealing with guilt has collectively, it's really led to a, a very sobering assessment. You know, this, uh, when we consider just the state of our world today, it, it really does appear hopelessness is just really apparent. You know, this rise of hopelessness manifests itself just in the increase of, of suicide around the nation. You know, according this this week, it was reported by the Center of Disease Control that the concerns are rising in our nation, and, and it's just quite really sad, and it's alarming. But what is more sad is that the experts can't figure out why, nor have a solution. Then there's the growing concerns about the future leadership of our nation. The growing moral decline. The uncertainty of our economic conditions. Mounting debt, both personal and as a nation. The rise in unemployment. The rise of wars and rumors of wars. And terrorism, which is another type of war without borders. The rise of crime. And the inability to provide appropriate justice. Even defining what that means. In other words, you know, one can be really disheartened and distressed about much in our world. And there are several common manifestations of dealing with these concerns. And, and you're, you're familiar with these, just how people live their lives in just view of our current conditions. Let me just give you a, a few of these ways people live in difficult times. Some choose to live hedonistically. In other words, they just seek pleasure, just eat, drink, and be merry, and, and find ways to escape the realities by just partying, playing and promiscuity. Some choose to live by denial. They just don't read the news. I just don't want to see it. Just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know about it. Just don't do anything. And just live life as if nothing will change. There are those who live fearfully. They can't trust anyone. They accumulate to the point of of just a bunker mentality, just hoarding and just great, creating a fortress. There are those who choose to just live in rebellion, just choose to lawlessness, violence, anarchy. There are those who choose to live fatalistically, meaning they just to resign to whatever happens, happens. Just, just go with the flow. And then there are those who find themselves just 
They just want to end it. And that's really the ultimate expression of hopelessness because life just isn't worth living. And then there are others who live by faith, who prepare, who consider. Like the Proverbs mentions, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Proverbs 21.5 or Proverbs 22.3, that a prudent man sees danger and hides himself. There are those who live by faith. But you understand that it really sums up as, you know, where your treasure is, is where your heart is also, right? Certainly, we are living in un, unprecedented times, both globally and domestically. And that can heighten our fears and even lead to the search of hope. Well, this morning, we will be exploring the topic of biblical hope so that we, as followers of Christ, can still greatly rejoice. Really, you can still greatly rejoice in the midst of difficult times. You know, earlier, Mike Noritz read there from Romans chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to chapter 5 there. And, you know, you can open your Bibles there and see that that in that portion there, um, you see the Apostle Paul makes an important declaration there. And it's found there in Verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. You know, here the Apostle Paul writes the most comprehensive view of the gospel to the church of Rome, in Rome, and as he aspires to travel on to Spain following his third missionary journey, he provides just a real sweeping overview that God's purposes of rescuing man from the penalty of sin and death comes through his provision of his son in Christ. And man's only hope is to be made righteous before a holy God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Romans Romans 3.22 really kind of summarizes it well when Paul writes there in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned. That's you and I, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul continues on, And he continues on in chapter 4 by citing the example of Abraham, the forefather of faith, to not only the uh, Jewish audience, but to us as well. That Abraham's faith, not his works, was what made him righteous before God. And so God took the initiative to call out and promise to Abraham that he would be a father of to many nations, despite the fact that his wife was was quite old and and child beyond childbearing years. But I love what Paul writes there in, in chapter four, there, verse 18. He says, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations, according 
to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he, that is Abraham, contemplated his, bo- his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully sure that what God had promised, he was able to perform. You see, hope does not depend upon man or his circumstances, but upon God. From a human standpoint, it just looked pretty hopeless for Abraham. But when you look at Abraham's faith, it was a strong confidence in the reliability of God's word. And his hope was his strong confidence in the fulfillment. Not just being, I'm just confident in God. But it's confident that he, his word will be true. He will fulfill his promises. In other words, whenever faith in God looks to the future, it really can be called hope. And so Paul, as Paul lays out God's plan and purpose through Abraham, he transferred this very point for every person that becoming right with God involves the same faith. Did you hear that? It involves the same faith who not only calls into being that which does not exist, but he works out the impossible too by raising Jesus our Lord from the dead. So you may be asking, so again, what is hope? What is hope? Hope has that idea of looking forward in anticipation. You know, if you look at a dictionary, the dictionary definition is wanting something to happen or to be true and, and think that it could happen to be true or, or desire with that expectation of obtainment. In other words, like, I hope my favorite sports team will win. I hope to be, I hope to be hired by this company. I hope to pass this exam or I hope to be to get a raise from my employer. You know what hope is not as wishful thinking or an uncertain desire you know kind of I, I hope everything works out I um, I hope this, there's a happy ending to this story. You know biblical hope when we talk about hope biblically speaking what what the word of God does declares what hope is, is it's really a statement of certainty, a certainty of obvious facts. It's looking to the future with a confident, joyful expectation and anticipation that what is declared by God will be fulfilled according to his promise. So biblical hope is not a, I I hope so, but I know so. I know so. It is not a feeling or an emotion but a knowledge of a fact. And that's important. Hear me in this. So when Paul writes here, there in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, he says what? We exult, or another translation is, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul states that the appropriate response is one of excitement, of being exceedingly glad because of the promise and prospect of being with God. 
It's really a total change of position and condition before a holy God. Because, why? Because he has conquered man's chief enemies. He's conquered sin. He's conquered Satan. He's conquered death. And we not only relish our, our change of condition, but we are anticipating a bright and glorious future. Amen? You can say amen here, you know. <laughs> you know, we, in other words, we stand positionally now and we will stand perfect before our maker and holy God because of Christ. So my outlook, my outlook has radically changed. And wasn't that true for you when you first understood and believed in the gospel? Wasn't that true for you? It certainly was for me. In other words, you know, just this biblical hope is the belief that, that the tomorrows will be much better than the todays. Because God is in control. That's true biblical hope. And that is why, you know, when Paul writes later to Titus, he reminds in Titus chapter 2 verse 13 that I'm waiting for that blessed hope. Paul's stating that that certainty that his appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior is going to be imminent. It's coming. He is coming for sure. Or I'm going to be taken to him for sure. Amen. That's right. And what's the, you know what's the result of hope? Is when you have that, when you understand that hope, there's a cleansing effect. There's a cleansing effect between you and God. How do I know that? Because you are his child. John, the Apostle John understood this when he was the one who says he's the man whom Jesus loved. The man, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But John writes in 1 John chapter 3, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did, it did not know him beloved we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and then he says this in verse three there and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure you see, there's something about when you have embraced Christ and understood, there's a, there's a purifying effect even in your own soul, in your relationship with God. So why is biblical hope essential for a follower of Christ? I'm, I'm raising these different questions. This, is, this morning is more of a topical study here. But why is biblical hope essential for a follower of Christ? I'm going to give you three reasons why. Number one, Biblical hope is not of this world because it involves reconciliation with God and with fellow men. You know, Paul writes there in Romans 5 there in verse 1, he says, you know, therefore, having been what? Justified by faith, what? You, we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship to the maker of this world, has been drastically changed from enmity and strife and facing his eminent wrath to now being at peace. I have peace with him. 
both today and forever. And we are the product of hope. Why? We were once dead. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin. We were slaves of sin and Satan. We were enemies of Christ. We were under the domain of darkness. We love this world, the things of the world, the boastful things of life. We were proud. Maybe we still are proud, stubborn. But God, who is what? Who is rich in mercy, he caused us, Peter says what? He caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope. Paul says there in verse 2 of chapter 5 that we are the recipients of his grace in which we stand. Not only are we in right standing with God, not only are we in that right standing, but we are able to stand up and be excited about God's promises and his glory to come. Biblical hope is not of this world. Another reason why biblical hope is essential for the believer is, is that Number two, I should say, it's a product of his grace through the Holy Spirit that enables the believer to endure during difficult times, including suffering. How do I know that? Because Paul writes there in Romans 5 there, in verse 5, he says, and hope, what? It does not disappoint. In other words, it doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When I look there in verse 4 there, he states that, and, and really history has shown that, that through the Holy Spirit's enablement, the followers of Christ are, they're able to rejoice exceedingly in times of tribulations, knowing that it brings about perseverance. It brings about proven character. When you look at, I don't know if you read church history, perhaps you find that a little too boring, but I certainly well in, encourage you to read biographies, just hit, reading about other men and women. How do they endure suffering? How do they endure in the walk of faith? You can read that through the scriptures, certainly, and, and Hebrews 11 summarizes it very well. But when you read those, and I'm a, a big advocate of reading biographies and i read many but sometimes you kind of conclude with this idea that (laughs) no way could i endure such hostility and suffer like they did with joy but you know when you come but when you come with that conclusion you miss the point it is god who does the enabling it is his holy spirit who can cause men women and children, to still sing the praises of God in the midst of suffering. Why? Because their eyes were fixed upon Jesus who gave them that hope. That hope that doesn't disappoint. And, and it's really important to understand that, that the Holy Spirit intercedes. And he gives that enabling grace. So why is biblical hope essential for the follower of Christ? Because it's not of this world. It's the reality that his, it's his Holy Spirit who gives us that enab- enabling grace to have that hope. But third, biblical hope relies not upon current circumstances. Biblical hope does not rely upon current sat- circumstances, but on a future promise. The po- 
I, why, do I, why do I raise that question? Or not question, but just comment that uh, it doesn't rely on current circumstances, but a future promise? Well, Paul answers that later in chapter 8. You see, in Romans chapter 8, he extends the idea of hope to other arenas, especially in the realm of suffering. And he says in Romans 8, verse 20, that for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the creation, whole creation, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And get this, in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. With patience. What is Paul trying to say here? Paul's writing saying that God has designed and allowed this world to experience pain and suffering, not only as a consequence because of sin and the fall, but it's in order to remind us that we are not living for this world, but a greater one to come. So, natural disasters. They serve, they do serve as warnings to us that this world is falling apart. And we wait for a new world and new bodies. And so we echo the psalmist in Psalm 33 who says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Well, what can undermine hope? What can undermine hope? There are three common ways. The first one is one that is uh, we can all relate to. Number one, it's listening to yourself and looking at one's circumstances. You know, all of us are susceptible to this temptation. Even the writer in Psalm 42 understands that all too well. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? You ever feel that way? I mean, I do that often. Just, why are you cast down? The psalmist had to remind himself, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, in other words, I need to look to him and quit listening to myself and speak truth to myself. We all need to do that. I often think of, Corey Ten Boom's quote, I often quote it, but it's that idea of Corey Ten Boom, who suffered in the concentration camps during World War II, says, You know, look abroad and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. What, <clears throat> what are some ways that can undermine our hope? Number one, certainly, it's, it's to. Listen to yourself and looking at one's circumstances. Number two is really being ungrateful and unbelief of God's promises. And Paul really spells that out just to society as whole in Romans chapter 1. What do people do? 
It says that the wrath of God, verse 18 there in chapter 1, that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? They, they suppress. They suppress the truth. They hide the truth. They bury the truth. They don't want to face it. And he goes on in verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to them. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, when you become ungrateful or even live a life of unbelief, what you do is, is you really do reject. I'm of the belief, and listen carefully, I'm of the belief that being around the teaching of scriptures is either the safest place or the most dangerous place to be. Because either it promotes comfort to those who believe it, or it condemns and damns you because you suppress the truth in unbelief. You hear that? That that is a danger for all of us is to grow ungrateful and unbelief. And that really just undermines or undercuts just the our hope. A third reason is that can undermine our hope is just relying on one's own belief of hope. And Paul states that well in Romans 2, verse 8 on. He says, those who are self-seeking do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness. And, and it's so easy to fall, your, fall as this, I'm going to just trust my own way. I, you know, um, not only you just suppress it, but I just decide to just follow my own path. It's really contrary to what Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 3, what trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But that's so often what we do. We, we just lean our, on our own understanding. And, and so those three ways are common ways to, to undermine that hope. Well, why preach? Why are you preaching on this topic? What, what burdens your heart, Pastor? And I, I am concerned. I'm concerned that it's easy to lose hope. I fall to that temptation. So I'm not above this. Okay. I have to preach this to myself as well. But I've discovered that there are four reasons um, why, as I contemplate, why am I preaching? Why is this? When Pastor Dave asked me to um, fill in, I said, the first thing that came to mind was, I want to preach on hope. Because we grow and we are in a world of hopelessness. If you're not aware of it, just look around or ask your neighbors around or your friends around, or family around, they'll tell you it's, it's pretty apparent. So why preach on this topic? Number one, I have a concern for the next generation. Not just because I'm a grandson, uh, grandparent now, but, but, you know, our duty as parents and grandparents and seniors here, we need to, we really need to instill hope by being an example by teaching and practicing biblical hope. The world is looking for examples of hope. Where can I find that hope? Because life is quite despairing. And we who are a bit older, some of peers here or those older, I'm exhorting you. You need to be concerned for the next generation and the generations to come. Psalm 71 tells us, Psalm 71.5 says, For you, O Lord are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. 
He says in verse 17, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, Oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. You know, the basis of biblical hope is rooted on the character of God. And so when we're not expressing that hope, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're not reflecting the character of God because he's revealed it through the scriptures. And we must preach this truth. There is hope. God has provided us hope. And we must declare that. We need to instill that to the next generation. You know, for years, the nation of Israel... As you read in the Old Testament, their confidence and false hope was based on, on their weapons of war, their wealth, their idols. Kind of sounds sim- similar to our nation. Our nation is guilty of that same false hope. But we need to impress upon the next generation, for the generation to come, that this is not our home. We live for an eternal home whose maker is whom? Hello? It's God. We need to live with that expectations and belief. Not just seeking it out here. We need to live with that sense of ex- expectation. Did you know that, you know, God's sacred institution of marriage and family and children are part of the means of instilling hope? It's encouraging when we hear of engagement or marriage or baby announcement. That's what we're communicating and declaring is there's hope. We are looking forward to the future. The future is bright because of Christ. Not because of the world situation or the news around the world. It's because we have a biblical hope. And we have something to be excited about. I think of the country of Japan. I come from a Japanese heritage and, and I often read the news. And, you know, there's just a rapid decline of, of those sacred institutions of marriage and family. And it's just reaping just the consequences are quite alarming. And it's not only Japan, but many nations that, that are wealthy in many ways, but they have, they have suppressed that truth and denied it. And it's, it's, the consequences are horrific. Why preach on this topic once again? Number one, I said it's, it's a concern for the next generation. But number two, because this topic lends perspective and it reminds us that we formerly as unbelievers were truly without hope. Did you know that? Do you, do you remember that time? I certainly do. But I hope you remember that time very, very clearly. I think of Ephesians 2. Paul writes there, what? Remember that you were at one time, what? Separated. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise. Having what? No hope. Having no hope. And without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been what? You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, this lends perspective. It lends so much perspective. We are the recipients of his grace. And that keeps us humble and grateful. And so, why do I preach on the topic of biblical hope? Because it lends perspective. Because I didn't have that hope before. Neither did you. But God interceded here. 
Number three, why preach on biblical hope? Because biblical hope serves to remind us of God's sovereign control. We need to constantly be reminded that God is sovereign control, even when it just doesn't look good. We must understand that hope is grounded upon the belief of God's goodness, his tempered by, with his justice, trusting that his will is revealed in the scriptures. Will It will come to fruition. And it's so critical, especially when the evil appears to rule and reign throughout the world. I think of Psalm 37, verse 1. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Psalm 49 tells us in 49 verse 5, he says, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who, who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. See, there's a consequence even for those who are wicked and who prevail. And I think of, I think of Matthew. Jesus reminds us all that do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, biblical hope instills the belief that God is in control, even when I don't understand. And that's oftentimes, right? We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand why. But the psalmist, I'm throwing you, peppering you with a number of verses, but another one to just keep in mind. Psalm 56, verse 1 through 4. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can what? What can man or what can flesh do to me? Why preach on this topic? I'm concerned for the next generation. It serves as a reminder of my previous condition. It reminds me, third, of God's sovereign control. And fourth, the absence of biblical hope leads to finding another substitute. Do you know that? The absence of biblical hope leads to finding another substitute, and that's a love for this world. You know, as followers of Christ, we believe in a better world to come. And we're not living for this world, but a better world, as I said, for all eternity. A new kingdom, a new millennial reign in Christ, uh, of Christ. But it's easy to... To seek a cheap substitute. Do not love this world. John writes. 1 John 2. 15 to 17. Just mark that down. Or look this afternoon. I, I'm re- recognizing my time is escaping here. Um, but just write down Psalm 49. 16 to 20. And 1 John 2. 15 to 17. And just look at those passages. To mind that. That's, that's the danger, is looking for cheap substitutes. I need to move on to really practical application. How shall we then live in the midst of difficult times? How do we live? 
We need reminders. We all do. And there are three practical ways to incorporate this. And it's not a, I said we, not I need to incorporate, but we collectively, corporately need to incorporate in the Christian life. And then the first one is right there that Paul states that we exalt, we rejoice corporately. See, we exalt is not I exalt or um, I rejoice, but it's the idea that we're doing this corporately. It's not done by yourself, but, but we're doing it together. So how do, we, how do we live in the midst of difficulties? We exalt corporately. There, it's found there in verse 2 that the Apostle Paul indicates it is, it's a time to corporately celebrate, to be happy, to rejoice. It's kind of like, as I said, I'm from Seattle. I, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, you know, two years ago, not last year, but two years ago, <laughs> that the whole city, the whole city just got it. It wasn't like I, you know, I was just in my, by myself and just, Yay, you know. No, the whole city banded together and corporately they were exulting in the win. When we come together, I trust you come in believing that we exalt. We exalt, that's with an A. We exalt, meaning that we come with this hope. We rejoice, we get excited, even as we come later to the Lord's table. It's this... uh, idea of i am excited i have a reason to be excited a second reason is we must speak forth truth to one another through the scriptures how shall we then live in these difficult times not only do we exalt corporately we come together to to worship but second we must speak forth truth to one another and paul writes that it's through the scriptures Paul writes there in Romans 15, 1 through 4, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, and then get this, Through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, it's when you speak the scriptures to one another. When you have Bible readings together, I've encouraged many of you, just one-to-one Bible reading with a friend, with a spouse. That simple activity is, once again, speaking the truth through the scriptures That's how we live in the midst of difficult times. A third reason is we must pray for one another. We must pray for one another. Even the Apostle Paul, as great as he was, he wrestled too with having that hope. How do I know that? Because Paul writes, even in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes there and and he makes it very clear in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the f- affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence, sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Then he goes, you also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf of the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see, when we, Paul even needed those prayers. We need those prayers. I speak on behalf of the the elders. We need your prayers. You need our prayers. This time of, uh, those three things of being together to exalt together, to read the scriptures together to one another and to pray for one another are the practical means in a time of difficult times. And I want to just be frank with you that I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I do think that difficult times are going to increase more. And it's not to, I'm not here to alarm you. I'm not here to add more hopelessness for sure. But I recognize that we live in in very troubling times and we need the reminders that God has given us a biblical hope, a hope that will not disappoint. And we need that encouragement in the days ahead. So I think of just encouraging one another all the more as the days are drawing near. That's out of Hebrews 10. But let me close with an illustration that I found this past week that really struck me. Uh, sometimes we need visual reminders. And uh, I read this, and it provided encouragement. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service, which scripture she would like read, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. The woman also requested to be buried with her favorite Bible. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the woman suddenly remembered something very important to, to say. She goes, there's one more thing, she said excitedly. pastor said, what's that? I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it? The woman asked. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. The woman explained, you know, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew something better was coming. Velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. Something wonderful with substance. So I just want people to see there in that casket with a fork in my hand. I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? (laughs) Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joys as he hugged the woman goodbye. He knew the woman had a good grasp of what lies ahead. She knew that something better was coming.
Do you have that kind of perspective? Do you have that perspective in this time and age? Do your children, do your grandchildren have that perspective? We are not a people without hope. Without hope. We are not to despair. Paul writes there in closing in Romans 15 there that he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May God help us. We need that kind of hope. Let me pray here. Father, as we prepare now just for this time of of celebration in communion, I would ask that you would help us to meditate the words that have been spoken, that the words of your mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable. You would impress upon us, Father, that indeed we have tremendous hope. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And with that... You have given us much hope, and we rejoice in that very fact. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.